Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower healthcare costs and build a better health plan. Now here's your host, Michael Maneri. All right, hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I wanna welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today our guest is Dr. Gus Carruthers from Grand Rounds. Gus, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on, Michael. You bet. So here's the game plan. What we seek to do here on the show is educate our audience on non-traditional methods to lower their healthcare costs and improve value for their employees. And, you know, really our interest is in helping business leaders who are ready and, and yearning for, for better results. Make sense? Makes great sense. All right. So to get us started, I'm going to read a bio about you and Grand Rounds. So the audience has a little context about who they're listening to, and then we'll, we'll jump into the interview. Dr. Jacob Gus Carruthers is Grand Rounds medical director. His expertise lies in clinical leadership, addiction medicine, and primary care delivery innovation. Dr. Carruthers completed medical school at Tufts University School of Medicine and residency at Tufts University Family Medicine. Cambridge Health Alliance, where he served as chief resident. While at Cambridge Health Alliance, Dr. Carruthers founded an addiction medicine education curriculum that has since become a national model for integrating addiction medicine curricula into residency education. Additionally, Dr. Carruthers served on multiple local and regional primary care improvement committees and led Tufts through the process of attaining NCQA patient-centered medical home level three status. At Grand Rounds, Dr. Carruthers leads an award-winning multidisciplinary team of staff physicians and clinicians. In this role, Dr. Carruthers helps Grand Rounds build new models of care delivery where traditional clinical knowledge is enhanced and extended by technology and access to world-class expertise. There you go. Anything else you'd like to add to that? <laughs> no, it makes me sound much more impressive than I am, although I'm sure you're used to hearing guests say that after their bios are read out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's get going here. Give us a little bit of background about yourself above and beyond what we just talked about. And specifically, you know, how did you go from working on the provider side to working for Grand Rounds, which is, is really all about, you know, helping payers? Yeah, great question. So I guess the only thing I would add to the bio you read is that a little piece of trivia about me is I'm actually a fifth generation physician, which I think is pretty rare to have five generations directly in a row being able to trace it back. And I was actually sitting around the kitchen table with my mother just last week and pulling out some of the family archives and tracing it back. And it was pretty neat to see. So it's all on my mother's side. Um, several women actually going back in there who were pretty early in their field. So, so pretty proud of that. But we were talking, my mother and I, and this kind of gets to your question, we were talking about how different kind of the field and the practice has been going from the beginning down to where I am now, but even generation to generation. My mother is a traditional primary care physician. She's mostly retired now, but saw patients one at a time, worked with them on their individual goals, didn't think much about population health, never the concept of a registry or tracking metrics really didn't exist until really the tail end of her career. When I went into primary care, which is what I originally trained in in family medicine, that's what really excited me was kind of the population health stuff. I, I liked seeing patients one at a time. I loved the relationships. It was great. But what got me excited was the concept of, oh, you can pull all this together and look at the data across your whole group. And I can, you know, organize the, the, the patients who have a common problem and send them a, a similar email to address that problem for all of them at the same time. Like that allows me to be efficient and impact more of them at the same time. And, you know, this is the way that primary care is going. I got really excited by that. But when I got out into practice, both, both in primary care and in addiction medicine, where I ended up doing some special I found that my opportunities there for really doing population health were limited and I was eager to do more. So when an opportunity came up at Grand Rounds, I kind of dipped my toes in the water to give it a try. And the company's done well and my, I've been given tons of opportunities. But what I really liked and what, what eventually kind of lured me away from the traditional bedside was the opportunity to make more of that population level impact. Let's start off kind of at the macro level. You know, as you're aware, you know, we have a, this 
healthcare system that you know, consumes more and more of our disposable income every year, mm-hmm. continues to rise. There's a recent study conducted by Gallup in 2017 that set out to identify top concerns of everyday Americans that they have about money. Mm-hmm. So researchers asked more than a thousand people, you know, what's the most important financial problem facing your family today? And guess what their answer was? Healthcare or rising healthcare costs or something that's, like that. That's, that's exactly right. You know, yep. cost, cost of healthcare. So tell me in your words, I mean, what do you think is wrong with our healthcare system and why do you think costs continue to increase like they do? Yeah, great questions. The obvious answer that I'm sure you've heard from other folks on your show is incentives and how misaligned they are in the US system, especially compared to you know some other models we have the opportunity perhaps to mimic around the world. And I, I think that's absolutely a big part of it. I've seen that as a provider, I've seen my own incentives, you know, not be aligned with those of my patients or, or even maybe in aligned with one, the specific patient in front of me, the individual, but not necessarily aligned with the goal of the entire population. If you think about prescribing antibiotics or, um, you know, preventative care recommendations, but even beyond that, I think we have a more fundamental challenge, which is getting our expectations around what healthcare can do and what is feasible, getting that more grounded in reality and more grounded in data. And these are general statements I'm making, so I'll try to make it more specific. But what I've seen both as a patient and as a healthcare consumer and as a provider and now as more of a healthcare administrator is there's a perception that all of our societal ills can be solved via the healthcare levers just not the case or maybe or it's certainly not the most efficient way to do it and if you look at you know our emergency rooms and our frontline primary care clinics they're really serving primarily social ills they're serving you know the problems of poverty the problems of you know, the problems of crime the problems of our criminal justice system etc and and they're, they're helping. I'm not meaning to say they're doing a, a poor job. They're definitely helping these people out, but they're doing it in a really inefficient way. And they're doing it through ICD-10 codes and through billing and et cetera. Right. And, and right, to the right, extent, right. Yeah. To the extent that we keep trying to pour resources into that system to address many of the problems, it's going to keep being expensive. And then even removing from the society side of things, if we just think about the, the potential for population impact of a few lifestyle measures across the population, which are arguably free and cheap, like walking to work every day or riding your bike to work every day, or, you know, just exercising 20 20 minutes versus the potential impact and cost of taking a statin or taking an antihypertensive. I mean, the order of magnitude of what you can expect to get isn't even close. The statins and the antihypertensives aren't effective <laughs> compared to exercising or changing your diet, et cetera. That's a fabulous example because that is a very good analogy for the issue with, I think, healthcare mm-hmm. is we're treating symptoms instead of root causes, Yeah. right? And, and that's always going to be more expensive, right? Yep. You, you, de- you deal with the root cause, you're going to avoid the higher expense. Yeah, that's the idea. It's been estimated that in the U.S. healthcare system, there's about $765 billion in waste. And that's about a quarter of what's spent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while some of that waste is price failure, it's been stated that a good portion of that is also due to the fact that a lot of the care we receive is unnecessary and yeah. not evidence-based medical care. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's a lot of it is driven by habit practice patterns and inertia, I would say clinical inertia. You know, we have order sets, we have workflows, we have ways of doing things. We're trying to make things efficient. So people come in and they get one size fits all medicine. And we don't think about whether that test is a repeat test or whether it's even really indicated or, you know, and we never, we rarely ever pull the stop, push the stop button on the assembly line to say, Hey, let's slow this process down and take a look at it and bring another set of eyes in and look at that. And I'm, I'm foreshadowing what I'm going to get to here with the grand rounds and what we do, but as, as you can probably tell, but I think that leads to a lot of it. And it's well, 
well-intentioned. No, there is nobody in the healthcare system or there are very few people in the healthcare system who are sitting there saying, I'm going to commit fraud today. I'm going to commit waste today. I'm going to waste this person's time, this person's money. But you know, they're trying to do what they've been trained to do or what their system sets them up to do. And there's just a lot of waste built into it. And there aren't many opportunities to step back take a bird's eye view and say, should we really be doing this? And unfortunately, the, you know, the, the poor patient or the poor healthcare consumer doesn't have a lot of the tools or the knowledge or the time, frankly, even if they had the right. tools and the knowledge to be the one doing that. High deductible health plans are starting to force them to do that. But I think we're all learning that, that patients don't necess- aren't necessarily armed to be great healthcare consumers, even if you put skin in the game. Yeah, no, I think the, the whole notion of high deductible health plans is creating smart, intelligent healthcare consumers is BS. You know, yeah. um, it's it's a cost shift because people don't have the resources and they don't yeah. have the help and the knowledge to actually be consumers. But that can be a whole nother yeah. topic of conversation. Yeah, I agree. That could be that could be another hour. <laughs> so let's hear about Grand Rounds. I want to understand what the product and services and what problems you're attempting to solve. Mm-hmm. And you might want to start with how Grand Rounds came into origin because you have a unique story of how the company actually came to be. Yeah, I will start there because I think it's a pretty moving story. So we were founded by a physician, by Dr. Rusty Hoffman, who's the chief of interventional radiology at Stanford. And it really grew out of a harrowing experience that he had with his family. He had a son, Grady, or has a son, I should say. It ends with a happy ending. So spoiler alert there. (laughs) He has a son, Grady, who when he was, I think he was approximately 11 years old. I don't remember the exact age. Don't don't hold me to that, but really came quite ill, had a rapid decline, ended up in the hospital. Essentially, he was going through liver failure. Many of his systems were shutting down. He was at Stanford, one of you know Stanford Children's, one of the one of the best institutions we have in America, and they had a difficult time coming to the diagnosis. And I don't think it was really their fault. It was just a, a really difficult case. Rusty was there every day. He's the chief of interventional radiology there. Obviously, he was leaning on every resource he could to make sure his son was getting the best care. But eventually, when they did make the diagnosis, when it came time for the treatment plan, there was a real crossroads. You know, the the treatment path was not obvious. They were considering his son for a bone marrow transplant where Rusty himself was going to be the donor. But this was kind of controversial in the field. And Rusty was like, how the heck am I supposed to make the decision to put myself and my son through this? He was, again, leaning on all his resources. He was calling up researchers around the country. They would pick up the phone for him because, you know, they knew who he was and he had the right credentials after his name. And he ended up speaking to people at the National Institutes of Health who connected him with a researcher who was researching this exact question and had unpublished data that hadn't gone to press yet. And basically that researcher said, listen, my data says this, you should go through the transplant. It will probably be favorable. I'm going to send you the unpublished data. And the rest is history. They went through the procedure. Grady recovered, did well. But Rusty was left with that by thinking, my gosh, if I hadn't been who I was, if I hadn't been a total medical insider and VIP, my son might have died. And that's unacceptable. You know, we have this knowledge existed, the people existed, but we couldn't bring it all together to get the best outcome for my son. The expertise was there, the infrastructure was there, but we got to connect the dots. So that that was why he was inspired to found Grand Rounds was to basically make everyone a medical insider and try to bring really the tremendous technology and expertise that we have in American healthcare, but we have a difficult time delivering, trying to put use technology to bring that expertise to bear around every single patient. That's the high-level mission. How we've done that traditionally, our first product that we started with was the expert medical opinion or, or a second medical opinion, kind of depending on what you want to call it. We like to call it an, an expert mm-hmm. medical opinion, which you know is not a new concept. First of all, there were some other, other vendors in the space doing this, but, but even before those vendors, the, the concept of a second opinion is as old as, sure. as medicine. I'm sure some of my ancestors who were physicians were ordering, ordering second opinions. But traditionally, the patient had to, A, maybe pay for it, but even if they didn't have to pay for it, they had to travel, uh, you know, take time off their schedule, get the opinion, figure out a way to integrate that opinion with what their original doctor was talking about, really a cumbersome process, and so it didn't happen very often. But interestingly, 
when it would happen, and there were some early studies around this, usually had great results, changes in diagnosis, better outcomes, cost savings, et cetera. So kind of a no-brainer that we should try to find a way to do this in a more seamless fashion. And that was our original product, our expert medical opinion. So basically, we, mm-hmm. we made the whole process digital. We gather the records for you. We digitize the records for you. We find the right expertise for you. We bring it all together. You don't, you know, as the patient, you don't lift a finger. We make mm-hmm. it really easy for the experts so that they want to engage in the process. And we deliver, you know, that, that best world-class care to the patient and their local team. On average, for every case that comes in for a second opinion, how many result sort of an intervention or an alternate diagnosis and treatment plan that's different from maybe the, the initial treatment plan from the prescribing physician? Yeah, great question. That's something we track very closely. And since the early days of the company right through till today, it is about two thirds. So about 66% of the expert opinions we run result in a significant change in diagnosis or treatment. Right. Um, which, and, and, yeah. so, and so to me, I mean, that's a lot. It is. Yeah. 60, 66%. So, I mean, does that mean as a patient, I should be skeptical of my local provider or does it just mean that not everybody can be an expert in everything? It's both. I mean, I think we should all be skeptic. I mean, to the extent that you would take your car for a second opinion, but you might not take your own body for a second opinion with the doctor, that's ludicrous. And so I tell that to people, you know, hey, first of all, it, it's not rude to ask for a second opinion. It's normal. It's, it's part of the culture of medicine. So people shouldn't be afraid to do it. And now we have tools to make it even easier. So it okay. should be less. But beyond that, I'm not trying to throw the physician community under the bus because A, it's, it's hard to be an expert in everything at the same time. B, even if you are an expert, you need all the information in front of you at the right time, pulled together and organized in, in an efficient way in order to make the right diagnosis and practice good medicine. And with our fragmented healthcare system, that often isn't the case. You might have your EHR right in front of you, but if the patient was seeing someone across town or in a different state, that data might never make it to your desk. And with your current systems and your 20-minute office visit, you're not going to get that, which really sets that potentially great provider up for failure. You know, we use technology to do all that work for you. And so then when we present data to our experts, they have the benefit of this bird's eye view and this longitudinal timeline of all the data. And that contributes to some of the change in diagnosis and treatment right there. When you go back with a a diagnosis or treatment plan that's different from the initial one, how does the local treating physician typically react? Yeah, great question. It's, it's something that patients are oftentimes nervous about. So we spend a lot of right. time kind of coaching them through this. I would say I don't have a hard data for you on a statistic, but the overwhelming percentage of the time, the, the local physician is excited by this um, and, and is, you know, happy to take the new ideas under, you know, into their, into their consideration. You know, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, the way we structure the whole process is collaborative. You know, the, the expert is, is looking to collaborate with the local team. That when they sign up to do this process, they know that's, that's part of the deal. So this is not a confrontational process, it's collaborative. The second point I would say is that if a patient is seeking a second opinion, it's usually because it's a complex situation or because something's not working. Frankly, the, the local physician would like some help. <laughs> you know, If everything were going great, uh, then, they, then they wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. So as someone yeah. who has practiced and provided, I've had difficult patients and difficult situations, and gosh, I really wish I could have had access to something like this. That's the second part. And then the third part, frankly, is we, we, we benefit from the true expertise and almost medical fame, if you will, of a lot of the experts on our panel. One sure. of the pieces of feedback we hear a lot from our, from our patients and our members is they come to us, we talk to them you know, down the road to collect their feedback and see how they're doing. And they say, yeah, when I presented the opinion to my local doctor, they said, holy cow, how did you get Dr. So-and-so to review your case? I was just listening to him or her speak at a national conference two weeks ago. Like, right. this is incredible. And so, okay. you, know, so, so uh, you know, based on that, so let's mm-hmm. talk about who are these people? Who are these these physicians that are actually on your your expert opinion team that that review these cases. 
Yeah, great question. So we have about 2000 of them. And we're really careful with that number because we think, you know, we want to really be picking the best of the best. And we think if our panel size ever gets too large, it probably means we're dropping our standards a little bit. But obviously, we need to, it needs to be large enough to be fully comprehensive. We have to cover every single medical subspecialty and we have coverage there. And we need to make sure we have, you know, people who truly have expertise in even the most nuanced situations. We are pretty unique in the way we source them. And we're proud of that. We try to take a data-driven approach. So, you know, this isn't a popularity contest or like a LinkedIn referral contest. We have put together a system that is kind of a separate product that our company does that we can get to later. But we've put together a system of using data to try to build an objective model of provider level quality. And one of the first use cases for that was to build out our expert panel. So we're looking at things like practice volumes, publications, awards, uh, where you went to medical school, where you did your fellowship, who you trained with, when you trained, et cetera. We're feeding all that in. Our system spits out kind of a quality score for the physicians. And then we curate that. Then we apply the human touch. Mm -hmm. We look at it. We say, does this make sense? Is this a person we need to add to fill a gap into our panel, et cetera. But what it ends up with, not surprisingly, are folks who tend to be the real leaders in their field, people who are working in academic medical institutions, researching or, or, or running labs or writing grants, people who are you know, writing the board questions and administering the certification exams for other physicians, folks like that. Got it. Got it. People that are at the top of the class. Yep. That kind of leads into my next question here. You know, one of the, the biggest challenges in, in healthcare, I think, for consumers, lack of mm -hmm. price transparency and lack of quality information around facilities and, and physicians. And so you know, if you talk to most employers out there, I mean, there, there's probably a bigger focus on price transparency mm -hmm. and qual quality almost appears to be an overlooked component in the equation. Yeah. So can you speak to the importance of, of quality of care and its impact on total cost and how Grand Rounds is working to help patients identify high quality physicians and or facilities specific to their unique situation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a saying in healthcare that the most expensive piece of equipment in healthcare is the physician's pen, which, you know, we, we believe for, and so by that, yeah, because as a physician, I can write an MRI, I can write chemotherapy, I can write a PET scan, whatever. And, and what we feel at Grand Rounds is that price transparency matters. It's a, it, it's a valuable tool, but it's really, we don't think it's the unit cost. It's not the cost per MRI that really matters. It's whether the MRI is indicated in the first place. And our whole philosophy is that if we can get you higher quality care right off the bat, we will get you the diagnosis faster. We will get you the treatment faster. That means less churn, less overall health care, uh, you know, to get to the same outcome. And it means getting healthier and faster and getting back to work faster. Mm -hmm. So a doctor we send you to might cost a little bit more on a unit cost basis, but we feel firm. We feel firmly that if, if we're picking the doctor, we're going to find the highest quality one. And that overall is going to lead to lower, more efficient healthcare or lower spending, more efficient healthcare. So, so how are you, how are you doing that? And, and, you know, I believe that's another one of your services, correct? Yep, it is. So, you know, we started out with expert medical opinions. We learned really quickly that about two thirds of the time we were going to tell the patient they had to do something different. And, and it wasn't very satisfying just to send them out into the wilderness to figure it out on their own. So we knew pretty quickly we had to build a service to help them navigate the healthcare system and find new physicians to administer these care plans that we were recommending. We had a lot of physicians in the company and we were aware of the way that referrals traditionally happen. And this might be an opportunity to educate your audience. So I think a lot of people think there's more science behind this than there is. But on average, if you go to your yeah. primary care physician or your specialist or something, and, and, and they say, you need to see a, you know, say you have a thyroid problem, you need to see an endocrinologist. How they're picking their endocrinologist is, it's one of a couple of ways, but none of it's the way you'd hope. <laughs> Probably the most common system is it's dumb luck. They're sending a referral into some central scheduler and some computers looking at who's next up and you're getting slotted into that person and that's that. There's no consideration as to whether that endocrinologist specializes in thyroid or maybe they specialize in diabetes and aren't the most appropriate. You know, that, so that's one system. 
The second system is, I would say, based on who they've been golfing with. So based on right. relationships, oh, I, I like this endocrinologist, so I'm going to send you to him or her. Well, that's nice, but you know, this is my health on the line here. And do you have blind spots? Are there other people around who you might know, et cetera? And then the, the most nefarious system, which is becoming more and more common with you know, vertically integrated systems, is there economic incentives here? And you know, the best endocrinologist for that patient may be across the street, but if they are affiliated with a different healthcare system, that PCP is going to get dinged if they make that referral. And that's and right. That, that, that's right. Especially that's terrible. In, especially in a closed system where you've got medical groups and health systems yep. that or, or health systems that own medical groups. I mean, there's strong incentive. I mean, they got to refer within the medical yeah. group. So that's the background. And that, that's what we knew was going on when we realized we had to tackle this problem. And we, we wanted to do it scientifically. We wanted to say, okay, if we could blow all that up and take all those considerations out of it, how should we be picking our doctors? How should we be deciding who to go to? And the answer was data. 10 years ago, you couldn't have done this, but with the, you know, the opening up of Medicare data, with claims data increasing and, and just more and more open access to data, we thought we could you know, build models to tell who truly specializes in what, who's doing it at a high quality level and who isn't. And ultimately, who is the best match for the patient? So that, that right there is our second product, which we call the office visit, which is basically we do all of that work on the back end. We have a, a large data science team. We have over 7 billion data points we're integrating. We're building quality models for each specialty. So we're not grading, if you will, an endocrinologist the same way we're grading a heart surgeon. You know, those are very different. We're building custom models for each. But at the end of the day, patient doesn't have to worry about any of that. We tell them, you need to see an endocrinologist for your thyroid problem. We're going to figure that out. We're, and we're going to, you know, use principles of behavioral economics and not send you somewhere where you're not going to go. We're right. going to we're going to apply filters to make this actionable. We're going to look at who's in your network. We're going to look at who's within 10 or 15 miles or whatever you're willing to travel. And from that actionable pool, we're going to say who's the best and who's the best match for you. Because ultimately, it's not fair to say one doctor is necessarily better than another. It's really who is the better match for this patient with this problem in this situation. Those are two of the Grand Rounds services, really. Mm -hmm. Are there any others that we want to make the, the audience aware of? Well, I think there's a lot of stuff that we're, we're working on right now. We also, well, in addition to that, so we have our expert medical opinions that I talked about. We have our office visit product yeah. that, I, that I just mentioned. We also offer treatment decision support. So what we realized was that through the process of doing an expert medical opinion, you get this great care team assigned to you. That's, that's one part of the team that I lead. You get a care coordinator who's ushering you through the process. You get a record specialist who's doing all the grunt work of gathering your records, which is you know a really difficult task. And then you have a staff physician who's assigned to your case. They're not the expert. They're not the one rendering the opinion. They're there to talk to you every day, answer your questions, guide you through the process and help you get the most out of this opportunity. And what we learned is that people were using our staff physicians and our clinical team for all sorts of questions, but only within the space of an expert medical opinion. So we said, huh, we should open that up to people who maybe don't need an expert medical opinion. So we have a service that we call clinical guide. It's really kind of treatment decision support is the best box to put it into where you can call up, talk to our, you know, talk to our clinical team. They have all the tools available to them, uh, you know, to help you decide if you need an expert medical opinion or, or decide how to think about a preference sensitive condition you have coming up, you know, should you get knee surgery or not, things like that. So those are, those are the three main products that we kind of integrate today for most employers. We do have some exciting stuff coming down the pike. I don't want to steal the thunder from my PR team, but yeah, I, can, yeah. I, I can give you kind of foreshadowing in that we have learned a lot from all of these thousands and thousands of expert medical opinions we've done for the most complex parts of care. And we've learned that when, when we get involved in a complex situation, we can make outcomes better. We can get people on the best pathway. Ultimately, just as we started off talking about at the beginning of this podcast, we want to move further upstream, right? We don't want to identify the symptoms when things have gone wrong. We really want to get started earlier and build products that are more applicable for the entire population. 
for the healthy population, for the people who aren't sick yet or who aren't complex yet, so that we can avoid them getting in the situation of the person who needs the expert medical opinion or who needs to find a new physician. We want to get it right the first time. Those misaligned incentives exist out there for prescription of certain procedures that may not always be necessary. And from a payer standpoint, you know, I think it's a good protection for the plan, but also most patients probably don't want to go under the knife. If there are alternative treatment protocols that can, you know, alleviate their issue. It's absolutely right. Nobody wants to put themselves in a risky, potentially not effective, potentially life-altering procedure if they can avoid it. They, they absolutely want to exhaust all of their treatment options. It's just that depending on where they are in the country and who they've seen first, they may right. think they've exhausted all their treatment options, but in reality, they haven't. And, and we provide them that information that they need. A lot of the things that you've talked about today kind of speak to a better consumer experience. You know, do you guys track NPS scores for mm -hmm. patient interaction with Grand Rounds? Absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the things we track really closely. We're really proud. Um, our numbers are up in the 70s and 80s. Our goal is to get up into the 90s, which are, which are you know, pretty astronomical in the healthcare industry. My understanding is that your typical hospital is somewhere in the low digits. Your typical insurance company is oftentimes negative. So you know, we're really trying to change that. There's a, a bunch of reasons there, but a lot of it, we think it's just the people we hire, the way we train them. But we're really giving you a totally different healthcare experience. What we're competing with is the 20-minute rushed appointment where the provider's primary objective is to code everything correctly so they can get paid. We have nothing to do with any of that. Our goal is to get your questions answered, personalize the experience for you, and get you the best outcome. And that just makes a world of difference. That is obvious from the first person you talk to all the way to the expert who's writing your opinion all the way to the, you know, the way we hold your hand and do a bunch of concierge services when we set you up for an in-person appointment with somebody. Um, it's just a, it's a totally different way to get the healthcare system. It's not surprising that the, the MPS scores are so high because, I mean, what you're really talking about is, is being an advocate for, for the individual. Yeah. And, you know, I can speak to, to an experience where, you know, my father had cancer and, you know, it was an incredibly overwhelming experience for my mother. And, you know, there were some initial diagnosis and treatment recommendations that uh, we actually avoided. And the only reason we, we avoided it is because, you know, my aunt is a rheumatologist at the University yeah. of Michigan. And, you know, she went and she went and talked to her friends at, you know, at the U who were able to provide some, some additional insight and alternate recommendations on what we should do. And so without having that advocate, you know, I think people can get lost and it can just yeah. be a really over, overwhelming experience. So uh, not surprising to see that level of, of MPS score. Grand Rounds is not the only company in this um, sort of second opinion or, or health advocacy part of the, the healthcare business. What makes you guys different from your competition? Yeah, great question. We think a couple things. We think, first of all, our focus on data, um, the way we kind of sourced our expert panel and, and beyond, moving beyond that, beyond our expert panel, but to the way we're picking picking physicians and really choosing quality, we think we're doing it differently than anyone else in the field. And, you know, I watch the field closely, both for competitive analysis, but also just out of pure academic interest. And there are more players getting into it, but I haven't seen anyone who's doing things as creatively as we are or has been doing it as long. So, you know, the fact that we're not doing a popularity contest and we're not relying on business relationships, but instead, you know, we are looking at outcomes data, we're looking at process measures, we're using machine learning, we're, we have a fleet of data scientists. I mean, this is all really unique and really exciting. Mm -hmm in the healthcare space. So we think that's one uh, differentiator for us. And the other I would say is we, we brought a lot of technology to this process, which allows us to move faster. At the end of the day, quality is more important than getting things done fast. So that's, that's the business we're in. However, we know that if this process takes three weeks, six weeks, whatever, the patient's going to tune out 
and might as well not have started in the first place. It's not going to be impactful. So we, we know that when you're facing that stressful situation, when your father has cancer, whatever, you want answers and, and you need them well, it's important to you. You need them soon. So we need to get you that opinion within one or two weeks, anything beyond that. And, and frankly, we're not really doing our job. We're a San Francisco tech company. We, we kind of brought out a fresh set of eyes, a fresh set of tools to this problem and to this, to this legacy space. And uh, we're proud of that. We think, we're, we're, we think we are able to deliver really high quality expert medical opinions faster than most of the other people in the space due to the processes we've made, the investments in technology we've made, and kind of the, the creative ways of looking at the ecosystem that we've put in place. So as far as fee structure, what does that look like with Grand Rounds for an employer? Yeah, with most folks, we're using per member per month sort of structure. With different people, we will have, sometimes we'll have tiers put in place based on what the utilization hits, different fees or different PEPM rates might change depending there. We have different customers who sometimes get creative and will buy bundles. So we'll buy a certain number of expert medical opinions or a certain number of office visits and there's a fee for that. And then if they go over that, there's a different fee. So we try to get creative and find a system that'll work for the size of the employer and, and, and their budget. Who is this a good fit for? I mean, are you guys focused on certain segment of the marketplace, larger employers, or are you also you know, focused on the middle market? Traditionally, I think it's the most natural fit for a larger employer that is self-insured. Yep. Uh, obviously, they have the most skin in the game. They have the most incentive to, to, to make changes in their spending and their, their healthcare population right away. But we also have a lot of middle market employers. We, we have a lot of smaller companies because they see savings too. It's not like our expert medical opinions are any different if you work for a huge company or if you work for a small company. You know, like the quality of the product we're, we're delivering is not going to change. We do have customers kind of across the size spectrum. And the same goes for industry as well. We have high tech companies in Silicon Valley and we have large big box retail stores in rural America. Again, yeah. the, the human body doesn't change uh, going from one of those categories to the other. So you know, I'm biased, but I think we're applicable to pretty much anyone who, you know, cares about the health of their employees and cares about what they're spending on it. What are some of the obstacles that you've encountered to an employer saying yes to implementing your service? Yeah, good question. I think there can be inertia sometimes. I don't envy the jobs of the large, you know, the heads of HR and the heads of total rewards. <laughs> I've, I've learned in, in this role, I've, I've gotten to meet a lot of them and, and hear their problems and, and they have a difficult job and anything that distracts them from their core functions is, is hard on them. And so if, if, if they think plugging into a different vendor and implementation is going to be, you know, it's going to be a headache for them or it's going to take away from their bandwidth, that's obviously a barrier. Uh, you know, so we've built an entire team to try to make that not a problem, obviously, but, but we right. have convinced them that we're going to do a good job and, and, and get over that hurdle. Budget is, you know, obviously important. We're not, you know, we're not free. None, none of the vendors are. And um, we, I think you mentioned uh, there's kind of the, 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 well, I'll back up and say this. Are, are the benefits buyers, I think, frequently get it. We, we talk to them, we pitch them, they get it, they see the value, they want, to, they want to do this. But then they have to resell this and they have to sell it to their CFO and they have to convince them of the ROI story, et cetera. We think we've built a really rock solid ROI methodology. We've actually had it audited by some outside actuarial firms, some third-party firms who have kind of validated our approach. And we're happy to share that with anyone. But at the end of the day, you know, the customer and the buyer has to agree with our methodology and has to think it's sound as well. So if for any reason they're skeptical of that, that's obviously a barrier. Well, I think anyone who's, who's interested in better results and, and, you know, better results means, you know, better value care, right? Mm -hmm. Lower cost and, and better consumer experience. And what's nice, I mean, you guys fall into category of entrepreneurial companies out there that are focused on the consumer experience. You know, the traditional ASO big insurance carriers out there have failed miserably at that. Yeah. And so I think anyone who's interested in driving a better healthcare experience, you know, should probably be looking at you guys as well as others that we've inter interviewed on the podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you. I agree. To close this up, Gus, if there was 
one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? <laughs> That's a good one. We even, we even talked about, I, I even got to put in a plug for my mother, the great primary care physician and, and, and my family lineage. So I think I've got to say more than enough. Nice guys finish fast. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. Great. How can people interested in Grand Rounds get more information or get in touch with the sales representative? Easiest way is just go right to our website. If you Google Grand Rounds or go to www.grandrounds.com, trust me, we make it very obvious and very easy how to get in touch with us. We'd be happy to talk to you. Very good. Well, on behalf of our listeners and myself, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to join us. I think it's been a, a great conversation and, and hopefully our listeners have gotten some value out of the dialogue. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. That was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Grand Round's website and contact information. Lastly, be sure to check out some of the free resources on our website, including links to articles and books, as well as our Health Plan Innovator Scorecard, where you can benchmark your health plan against a plan that is truly designed to lower healthcare costs and improve value for your employees. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.